we are in this series right now called The Fullness of God, and we're discussing Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus and to the church in perpetuity as well. And so let me run over what we've done. This is the third week. We're going into the third week. Let me run over what we've done for the first two weeks. Let's go ahead and pop up there. You have your Bibles with you. Go, go ahead and open them to Ephesians uh, chapter 3. We're looking at verses 16 through 21. Verse, 13, uh, verse 16 was the first week. He said, I pray, Paul writes to the church, he says, I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we noticed at the very first week was that God operates out of his glorious riches. In other words, God doesn't operation with a, operate with a privation mentality. He's not coming at you with a poverty mentality of his character. In other words, when you come and you ask God, I need something from you, I need your forgiveness. When you ask God for forgiveness, he's not thinking to himself, oh my goodness, this is like the fifth time this week. Why do you need so much forgiveness, kid? You need to like get over this and start doing better things. No, when you ask forgiveness, God goes, yes, I have a super abundance of forgiveness. I want to extend forgiveness to you. That's why, by the way, the Bible says in the Old Testament that his mercies are new every morning. Why? Because we need them to be new every single morning because we need them. So when God comes to us, he comes to us out of a super abundance of all of his glorious riches. And when he strengthens us and gives us power, this word power is found three times in these five verses we're looking at. He gives us strength and power, but not strength or power that comes from circumstances or situational strength. He gives us strength from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And one of the things that we said that diminishes the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is when we have an ownership mentality over our stuff. And that could be our family, our marriage, our children, our friendships, our businesses, our money, can be all those things. For some of us, we walk around with an ownership mentality. And the ownership mentality says, this is my business, this is my money, these are my kids, you can't touch them, you can't talk about it, you can't, just stay away from it. It's all mine, right? It's a control mentality. And then we said that ultimately, week one, our goal is not to be people who are about an ownership mentality, but a stewardship mentality. And what we said was that stewardship, we define stewardship this way, stewardship is temporary management over something that belongs to someone else. And when we look in the book of Psalms, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That means my kids are the Lord's. I have 18, 20 years max pouring out my heart, my wife's heart into them so they can become godly, responsible children, people, adults. But then that's, that's, you know, that's my job is done right there. I, they are the Lord's. I let God do with their life what God will do with their lives. Same thing with our money, our stuff. Then week two. Verse 17, we moved from talking about our money and our stuff and making sure we have a right mentality about that to talking about the fact that we have a need for relationships and that God built us for connection with one another. That if you come to church and hear the message and then take off after singing a few songs, you will not have that great of an experience. Why? Because it's about what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. We said that Christ... Paul's prayer, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being a rooted and established. And that's what we talked about. The idea that we are rooted together in Christ. In other words, our hearts and lives are connected together. You may not know everybody in this, in this room right now, but one of the things I said is get to know people because some of your best friends are in this room right now and you just haven't met them yet. We are rooted together in Christ. And when you are rooted together and connected together, it establishes you. Meaning that we're not going to just 
come one moment and then be gone the next moment. We are going to endure. We are going to continue. We're not going to be moved. We will be people who are strong. Why? Because I'm rooted together with a whole bunch of people who have my back as I have theirs. And then we looked at verse 18 last week and we said this, that ultimately, if we are going to be strong, it's because we have power, not by ourselves, but we have power together, together with all the Lord's holy people. And I challenged you and said, listen, at the core of your relationships, you have to have the Lord's holy people there. In other words, I'm not telling you to push people who are not Christian out of your life. In fact, you have to have those people in your life. But when it comes to the most important relationships in your life, you have to have people who will stretch you and call you to deeper relationships with Jesus. Otherwise, your spiritual life will shrivel, right? So we said, in order for us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for our lives, we need people that we can walk with who know what it's like to walk wide and long with Jesus. You have to have someone in your life who has lived with Jesus for a long time. Because for many of us, we go through hard times in our life and we need someone to go, yeah, I went through some hard times in my life too, but I'm continuing to walk with Jesus. They didn't give up. They didn't walk away. And just like their example, we can take strength from that and continue to walk with God. But we also need people who walk high and deep with Jesus. People who've been in the highs of a relationship with Jesus and have the kind of requisite depth that we can lean on them sometimes and go, what's my next step? Like, what do you think my next step is? How can I get to know God the way that you know God? And those people draw us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And without that, your relationship with God will always be more poor. You need other people. Now, today, we're going to turn to this subject of you need church and you need teaching. And I realize that I'm talking about myself up here a lot uh, as we start this. I'm very conscious of that. But let's run through this because it's been exceptionally important for us to understand this. During the middle of the pandemic, when churches shut down, we saw and a massive increase in depression, a massive increase because several things were taken away. Socialization that bonds us together, not in things like politics or just listening to the same echo chambers that we listen to, but people who would challenge us to grow and to continue to be the people that God wanted us to be. We missed out on that. So let's talk about that a little bit. So verse 19 is what we're going to look at today, as well as some other verses. And so he says, and to know this love, what love? The love of God for you that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure to the fullness of God. So the first thing that you need to understand is that you and I will never be able to understand the fullness of God's love for us in its entirety. We'll only know it in part. And here's the reason why. Because it is so thorough and so comprehensive and so deep and so true that our knowledge can't even put words around it to describe it. God's love for you is so much more than you actually think it is. It is so much more than a transactional relationship with God. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. His love for you is when you fall down, I will still love you. When you rebel against me, I will still love you. When you don't even have an interest in me, I will still reach out to you. Watch this. Here's where we go. Because we are, we won't have this knowledge in its fullness, but he wants us to be filled to the fullness of God. So this is what we're going to talk about filled and full. So one of the truths about this is that we are constantly filling ourselves with something. 
And we're constantly being filled by other people. You listen to all kinds of teachers in your life. It's not Sunday church, Saturday night church, that you come to and you just hear teaching. You hear it all the time. Every time you pop on a podcast, every time you listen to someone on the radio, every time you tune in to a television program, you are, whether you're conscious of it or not, being shaped, being formed, and being taught. And much of what we think we believe today is not because we believe it, it's because it's been put inside of us. But here's what we as Christians need to do, is realize what we are being filled with will eventually be what we are full of. And so if you're being filled with the wrong things, you will be full of the wrong things. Input in will eventually become output in your life. It will change who you are. Teaching is one of the most important things that you can possibly pay attention to in your life. And we're going to talk about that. The only title that Jesus was given by all of the people that knew him around was Rabboni, teacher, 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 teacher. They wanted to listen to everything that he had to say because he was the right person to listen to. But we may not be aware of how all the time our ideas around us are shaping us. So on the screen, I want you to think about this question. Here we go. Are we being formed or deformed by our routines? Are we being formed or deformed by our routines? And so here's what I mean by that. So when you get really, really stressed out, what are the things, what are your routines that you go to? For some of you, you might say, well, you know what? When I get super stressed out, I go work out. And that might be great for you. That's fantastic. Others of you, this was an all-time high during the pandemic, right? And it was this. When you got stressed out, you started drinking more than you normally drink. Alcoholism is at the highest rates it's ever been in the United States in recent years. And that's because people got stressed and worried and they just said, I'm gonna take a drink. I'm gonna take another one. I'm gonna take another one. Other people, you just run to food. You run to the thing that you feel like will make you better, but you need to realize you're filling yourself with things that are actually not helping you. They're deforming you. They're twisting you up. And what happens when you become deformed is you don't feel the way that God wants you to feel and you don't think the way God wants you to think and you don't act the way that God wants you to act. And so this morning, we're talking about being conscious of what we're being filled with. The first thing I want you to know is this. You don't need to give, not everybody in your life deserves a voice in your life. Not everybody in your life deserves a voice in your life. Some of you right now are in relationships where he is constantly speaking all kinds of negative things into your life, constantly saying to you things that are destructive and demeaning. She's doing the same thing to you maybe, or your boss is doing that to you. Those voices are not the voices that you are to listen to. In fact, let me just put out a principle out here that's really important. If you log on to whatever it is, like whatever podcast you're listening to, whatever television show you're watching at night with some news person or whatever, and you walk away always fearful and always angry, those are not the right voices in your life. They're not, guys. I was challenged by a guy in the church not too long ago. He said, you know what? When I heard you say that for the first time, He said, I pushed back on that. Like, I didn't like the fact that you wouldn't engage with politics or talk about those kinds of things. But he said, I just started practicing what you were talking about. And he goes, I feel so much more joyful and peaceful than I ever have before. Cut those voices out. Those are not the voices that you need to hear. You are not made to always be angry and afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. The Bible says, right? That's the love of Jesus. So first thing is not everybody deserves a voice. Second thing is, All authority, especially church authority, but all authority, the Bible says just in general, all authority is delegated authority. All authority is delegated authority. What do you mean by that, Pastor Mike? Here's what I mean. I mean, when you listen to a preacher, a communicator, an influencer on social media, 
What is the ground foundation upon which they talk to you about your own life? Is it just their opinions that they're good at talking? I'm good at talking. I know I can make people laugh. I know that I can make people cry sometimes. But listen, that's not enough for you to listen to somebody. When you come to a church, is it, man, they, they, the guy talks well, as I stutter, the guy talks well, the, the guy talks well, the music's good, they got a good children's ministry. See, I told you I could make you laugh. And, uh, but, but see, it's, it's just like one of those things, right? It's just one of those things where... Is this what we're doing to evaluate why we should be affiliated with a specific church? If so, I'm going to say it's not right. Because all authority is delegated. When I stand up here and teach and preach to you, it can't be just out of my own thoughts. It has to be based on scripture. Because God's word is eternal. God's word is wise. God's word is good. Watch this. This is super important. And the degree to which the preacher, he or she, begins to talk about this is the degree to which they're faithful to the scriptures, that's the degree to which you listen. I'm gonna tell you a little while about a a woman who swept through the churches and the country as a whole. Women were reading her books left and right, talking about all kinds of great things. People started asking me, like, what do you think about this? I'll tell you about it in a second. But many, many, many people believed in a lot of what this person was doing and it was just wrong. And I'll talk about it in a second. But not everybody deserves a voice in your life. So how do we figure out like who does and who doesn't? Well, first thing I want you to know is that you have to realize that any preacher that stands in front of you has to realize that he speaks with a delegated voice, that his voice is not God's voice, but it's God's voice that's speaking through his scripture to his people. And you need to focus on the scriptures and, what God, and, and, and not just the fact that he can communicate well or she can communicate well. But talent's not uh, something that's not important. In fact, let me tell you a quick story. Um, when I left the church that I was a part of uh, 19 years ago to start Grace, I wasn't sure what I was going to do in between. So uh, just a small church of about 100, 150 called me up, a little uh, Southern Baptist church called me up and said, hey, we don't have a pastor. Uh, will you come over and, and uh, teach at our church this week? And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Sure. And so I went over there and uh, other people from the church that I came from heard and about 600 people showed up to that 100 person church and they immediately offered me a job. And uh, <laughs> And uh, to which I immediately said no. And uh, it was amazing because um, in that moment, they were all excited. We're pulling out chairs. They didn't have enough chairs. People just standing around on the outsides. It was, it, was, it was kind of fun. But what was not fun was they put this woman up to sing. Because what we're talking about right now is that talent actually does matter, right? Godliness matters. We'll talk about that in a second. But talent actually does matter, okay? So we put this lady up in front of me. Listen, when Ashley comes out and sings her songs usually... I mean, like I'm on the one yard line. It's like, touchdown, you know, because your hearts are ready and it's right. Why? Because these guys can sing. We're going to put people up here who can actually sing. But when she got up there, this lady, because they wanted to just honor her, she just, you know how the Bible says, make a joyful noise? It was neither joyful, but it was an absolute terror. She got up there and she's singing. And because we were part of the big church, 500 people were mocking her. It, right? It was terrible. I felt, oh, this is terrible. Everybody felt awkward. It was really, really weird. But really what was terrible was the decision to put her up there. It was unkind to put her up there when that is not her gift to do what she's doing. I have people all the time go, hey, Pastor Mike, can I come and preach at your church? And I'm like, no. And the, reason, and the reason for that is not because I have to be up here all the time, but I've got Grant and Clint and Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick preaches better than 95% of preachers in America, period. All of those guys do. They're awesome. We have enough voices in here where we're going to rotate these guys through to hear multiple voices, but we're not going to put people up in front because what we do matters so much. Imagine you bringing somebody for the first time to church 
and that lady's singing. Imagine that you come for the first time and, and you're bringing somebody who doesn't know Jesus and the message doesn't make any sense. It's either too theological and no one can grasp it or it's too disorganized and no one can grab hold of it. That may be the one moment in that person's life where they were like, I'm giving this a try. And then after that, they're out and they're never coming back because they said, church is not for me. And they've written it off. What we do when it comes to talent and abilities actually does matter. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 24, verses three and four. It says this, by wisdom, a house is built. This is one of the very first um, scripture passages that I memorized um, because one of the, when I first became a Christian, I wanted to change the history of my family from being super dysfunctional and abusive to one of health and goodness. And so I started, I noticed the pattern inside the book of uh, Proverbs, which is what I studied. I st- it starts with the, it was beautiful for me. It starts with a father's voice into a son's life. And I didn't have a father who spoke these, these words. And so Proverbs spoke these words to me and I found a pattern. It was wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's, it's three words that are repeated through the Proverbs over and over and over again. These three words are exactly what the, you need to have as a person if you're looking for a person, these three things need to be in that person's life if they're going to speak into your, into your life. By wisdom, a house is built, right? Um, a family is what they're talking about when they talk about, like, you know, like the house of Versace, right? By wisdom, a family is built. By wisdom, a family is built. Wisdom is the ability to take information and apply it in the right way. By wisdom, a family is built, and through understanding, it's established. Understanding is a little different. Understanding happens when, um, like, my kids come to me and they say, we're really struggling with something. I'm trying to figure it out. And I don't immediately go to knowledge and go, here, well, here's the solution to it right here. Or, you know, when you do that with your wife, you're like, oh, all your problems will be solved if you do this. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you've tried, try it. It doesn't work, right? What, what happens is understanding is necessary to establish relationship. Understanding is when you look at somebody else's circumstances and don't sympathize with them. You don't feel bad with them. You look at it from their frame of reference. You try to put yourself in the position of where they are and you look at it from their world. When you do that, it establishes connection and relationship. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and valuable uh, treasures. That the knowledge part of this is that you actually, our faith requires you to know stuff about it. It requires you to have knowledge. Listen, if you're a vascular surgeon, you know what I know about you? Your house is big and is filled with rare and beautiful treasures <laughs> because you have knowledge. You have like a knowledge that the rest of us don't know. Like I'm never tempted when I'm at home to go, I don't know what that is. Let me cut into it and see what it is. You know, it's just, it's not a thing that we do, right? You know these things. So your house is filled with, and that's what happens. Excellence breeds these kinds of things. And when you do what you do excellently, it draws people to be around you. This is what Proverbs 22, 29 says. Verse 29 says, do you see someone skilled in their work? Like when you're looking out in your world, do you see people who are good at what they do? They will serve before kings. They won't serve before officials of low rank. In other words, they're going to draw all kinds of different people, people who are serious people. When you are a serious person with doing what you do, it actually matters what we do and how we do it. So there was uh, this woman who uh, kind of swept through um, the church. She wasn't a Bible teacher per se, but she wrote a best-selling book. And um, woman, after, woman after woman was coming up going, this is so great. And her central thesis was basically this. You are enough. Hold on, hold on. Because you see it on social media all the time. You are enough. I, I get the idea behind it, which is this, it's this idea that you're valuable and you're important. And those are biblical ideas. You are valuable and important, whether you're a guy or a man or a woman. 
God created you in his image. You are valuable, important. He sent his son to die for your sins. He loves you so much. It's beyond our full knowledge to be even able to grasp it. But over and over and over again, people kept going, what do you think of this book? And so I read it. And I'm telling you right now, it was just kind of like a Tony Robbins hype kind of thing filled with some like female stuff. And what happens, watch this. What happens is every once in a while through the church just blows like some new thing for guys. They're like, yes, we'll be macho and awesome. It'll teach us how to be real men of God, you know, and it's terrible, right? And then it just kind of goes through and it goes through and people are like, women are like, oh, this is so great. It under- she understands me. She's pretty. She's clever. She writes really well. Great marketing team behind all that she did. But on the inside, it was filled with messages that would push you away from Jesus. Do you know why? We can't as Christians say, I am enough and say, Jesus is enough. I'm not enough. And by the way, who goes around saying they're enough if they are? I'm enough. Uh, just by saying that means you're not, right? So, so, so and, and I, think that's, I think that's the whole point. Like, that's not a true statement, and everyone really knows it at the heart. And that's why we actually turn to Jesus to say, you are enough for me. And you get those same net effects that you got from reading that book, but you get them from a true source when you get them from the scriptures. Be careful who you listen to. It's really important. Teaching actually matters. What you put inside, what you fill yourself with will eventually be what you are filled with. So who should you listen to? Um, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3 gives me a little bit of a, a shock on all of this. This is for us, for pastors. It says this, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, watching over them. So shepherds, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about shepherds. Like it just as a church, we pull shepherds out like at Christmas, right? They're on the hills and then an angel comes and says, you know, and then we put them away for the rest of the year. Like we don't talk about shepherds a whole lot. But shepherds, actually, when you go back in the Old Testament, you look at David, who was a king over Israel. Prior to that, he stood on a hill and watched his father's uh, animals. He was a shepherd. And so one of the things that David said is that when an animal would come in, a lion or a bear, he would take these big sticks that they had, and they would watch that sheep. And as that lion runs towards that sheep, the shepherd gets between them and smacks that thing in the face. And David said, I've killed both lion and bear. Shepherds, pastors, are not supposed to be people who are just weak. These guys are strong people who, when it comes to people destroying the flock, will under your care, will watch over them and stand between them in danger. That's what we do. And so what that means sometimes is that that means sometimes I'll have to say something to you in the sermon that will be a correction to you. And it's wise for you to listen to it because it's going to come from the Bible and it's going to come from the heart of God. And sometimes we just need to realize that we're out of alignment with God's will. And our job is to put ourselves right back in the center. Not because he says, do this pastors, not because you must, like there's some kind of reason why you have to do it, but because you're willing to do it. You have to lay your life down, pastor, to do this. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain. This is something that gets business leaders in trouble, gets pastors in trouble, gets politicians in trouble. When they begin to look at the benefits of serving more than the people they serve. And this is something that happens over and over and over again. Just so you know, just I don't, I don't know that you need to know this, but we actually have outside accounting firms that look at all of our money, not stuff that is actually like people on staff. We do have people on staff that do that too, but outside accounting firms that look at all of our stuff to make sure everything's spent exactly where the categories said that they were going to be spent. It's important for us to know that. But you've got to be eager and willing to serve. You have to be willing to serve God's people. The character of a person matters who you listen to. 
Because one of the things that we saw about this woman who kind of taught all this stuff is that all her marriage and all the things that she said were just so wonderful and great in her life, it all fell apart and were destroyed. And you know what happens when that happened? Many women looked at that and goes, oh man, just another failure, just another, I put all my hope in this person and she ended up just, you know, just disappointing me. Verse 13 tells you a little bit of what you're supposed to do though. Here's what it says. Um, that was me, this is you now. Verse 17 says this. It says this. There we go. Have confidence in your leaders. Let's, just, let's stop right there. Have confidence in your leaders. Listen, I know for some of you, because um, I talked to a family last night who was struggling with this exact point. They said, when we just came from a church and they were part of a church for 15 years uh, where they, got a, they had a pastor change in their denomination and the new pastor, she noticed, was teaching a lot of social things, but not necessarily preaching the gospel. And so she talked to him and said, hey, I'm not trying to be judgmental or condemning or anything, but I noticed that we don't really use the Bible a whole lot in our services anymore. Could you tell me why? He goes, well, if you're looking for Bible in the services, you might want to go check out another church. And so they ended up, like, taking off and checking out Grace, because, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and here, and, and, but here's the thing. So you might be coming from some circumstance like that, whether some pastor sinned and did something dumb or made some bad executive decisions, whatever it was. And right now you don't have confidence because you're like, I did place confidence in people and they disappointed me. I totally get that. And I don't have anything in my heart that's like, man, just get over it. I get that. But here's what I do want to say to you. When, when the writer of Hebrews writes these words to us, he's basically instructing us on what is normative for a Christian to experience. Your experience right now may not be normative. In other words, what we're supposed to do all the time. But this is what we're just shooting for. All of you should be shooting for confidence in your leaders, me, the staff, and everyone that serves at Grace, right? Have confidence in your leaders and then submit to the authority. Woo, okay, pastor. I didn't put it in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And this is what it means. We made a decision a long time ago that we weren't going to be a church where we just go sin hunting in everyone's life. I'm not going to go looking for problems inside your life. What are you doing wrong with you know, Jesus? That's not what we do here. But every once in a while, the scriptures will teach me, like I said a moment ago, the scripture will teach us something. And I have to say, in Jesus' name, do this. And believe it or not, you're supposed to. Like, I talked a little bit a while ago about giving, and I mentioned, made a joke about like 10%. People just started laughing. And I was like, no, that's really what we're supposed to do. Just like, you're supposed to do those things, right? You're supposed to submit to authority, right? Because, here's the reason why. Because we keep watch over you guys as those who must give an account. So this basically says that my afterlife will be different than yours in the sense that I will be judged to a stricter standard. Everything that I talk about on the stage, the way I live my life, the Lord's going to go, was this a shepherd shepherding my sheep? Did you in my name lead the church? And that's absolutely terrifying to me, just so you know. But at the end of the day, it says, hey, hey, do this, submit to the authority, have confidence in their work so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Your job is to be a joy for me. You're laughing. It's in the Bible. I'm telling you, like, you're, you're just, and I will say this, you guys, um, you're killing this right here. You're killing it. Man, this church, ever since we started it a long time ago, I can't tell you how many pastor friends of mine that I have that after a message, they just get these nasty emails or texts or something from someone. I didn't like this when you said this. I hardly ever get anything like that. And when I do, I don't listen to them anyway. But, uh, <laughs> Do this so that the work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. In other words, he's talking about church health right now. Make sure that your pastors, make sure your staff, make sure your people like that, you don't make it a burden for them to lead because that's not going to make it good for you either. 
So here's just a biblical principle I wanted to put up on the screen. Biblical teaching matters. Teaching matters, teaching matters, teaching matters. Biblical teaching matters because it helps us see as God sees, feel as God feels about whatever issue we're working on, and then to do what God would do. That's what we do. We put ourselves in alignment. The scripture aligns us with God. And this requires us to make some changes inside of us. There's a great book by James K.A. Smith. He's a professor, and it's called uh, You Are What You Love. I highly encourage you to go get it, read it. It's maybe like 140 pages. It's a fantastic read, but it will make you aware of how often you're being filled by just regular routines that you do. So this is what he says. Spiritual formation, becoming like Christ, requires a lot of rehabituation. In other words, redoing the habits that we're involved in. In other words, part of growing in Christ is looking at the habits I have in my life and asking myself, are these habits forming me into Jesus or are they deforming me? And so I'm going to try to do everything I can to stop those things that deform me and change me away from Jesus and start doing the ones that I do make me look a little bit more like Jesus. Because we build up so many disordered habits over a lifetime. This is also why spiritual formation in children is one of the most significant callings of the body of Christ. If you serve in the kids ministry, this is exactly why you do it. Uh, There's just tons of kids back there right now. I want you to know, we don't just like play videos and have fun and play games with them. We're actually teaching them the Bible. And as we teach them the Bible, we are forming Jesus in their hearts. We are shaping them for decisions that will not just happen now, but to their children's children's children. As the scriptures take, as we sing sometimes, up to a thousand generations. What we're doing right now in kids ministry makes such a big deal. Why? Because not only for parents, but even for kids, teaching matters. And who you listen to matters a ton. So... I used to have this, uh, um, you know, I was a counselor before I was a pastor. And uh, every once in a while, people would get stuck in counseling. And I knew why they were stuck. They would, they would say something like, you know, I just, I feel like I can't actually make changes. And part of it was just the way they were framing the problem. And I would say, no, no, you can actually make changes in your life, but, but, but you need to understand how you got to where you are right now. And that is this, like we make a series of choices and we create series and patterns in our life. And those patterns yield either good things for us or bad things for us. And so if you're in a place right now in your life, I guarantee the habits that are in your life right now are producing some bad things if you're in a bad place. So the good news about that is this, it's all just about learning. If I learn something from the past, I can unlearn it in the present and relearn something new for the future. That's how you change. The way I was able to break patterns from my family where my father used to beat the crap out of us and just like have, you know, just constant violence and stuff was I said, that's just something that I learned. I learned that when you get stressed out, you get angry. And that was false. That's not a cause and effect. Somewhere in between there was my choice. And I decided that I'm not going to walk in that way anymore. I'm going to make new decisions. Those new decisions made new decisions, which created new patterns, new ways of habituation. And then I had a totally different life. And it's a process, guys. It's not something that happens overnight. You just do it slowly and slowly and slowly over and over again. Unwinding the bad stuff in our lives is an important part of growing spiritually in Christ. So who we listen to? Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. It says this. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now look at this. First thing I want you to know is these are not man-made offices. Christ himself, God himself gave these offices. Apostles, these are like the 12. Actually, there was 13 with the loss of Judas, right? And so these are the guys that wrote scripture. These are the guys that created normative Christianity. They don't live anymore. We don't have apostles anymore. 
Prophets spoke God's words from the Old Testament. We don't have them either. We have people who might have prophetic gifts, but not the same thing. Evangelists, we still have them today. These are people that you run into. These are the Christians who are like, I don't really care about anything else other than helping other people know Jesus. I want to get to heaven having brought everybody in my, my circle of influence to heaven with me. That's what it looks like. Pastors and teachers, this is the only one that has the and conjunction between it. Pastors and teachers, because it's the same thing. I'm a pastor teacher. And my job is to equip his people, God's people, delegated authority, who works for the works of service. My job isn't to do ministry, it's to equip you to be like Jesus so that when you leave the church and you go out back to your jobs and your families to actually do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. When we are doing these roles and we are listening to these roles and these roles are speaking into our lives, we are better and we are becoming more mature. So what does it look like? Verse 13. Well, it looks like until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to be more full. I want to be more full of Jesus. And how do I do that? Well, we reach unity in the faith. Check it out. The church is one of the most unique, like demographic places in the whole world. I mean, if you look at our church as a whole, we have super rich people, super poor people. We have black people and white people. Asian, Hispanic people. We have PhDs, MDs, judges. We have people who barely graduated from high school. We have people from all strata of society gathered together in a way that none of us normally, if the church did not exist, would not hang out with each other. You know why? Because we are trying to reach for the unity in faith, not in everything else. In faith, we are rooted together in Jesus. And Jesus is the commonality that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not your politics. It's it's not who you listen to on the news. It's Jesus. He is the center of what binds us together. And when we have him in common, we have everything in common. Because when we have him in common, we can understand each other differently. So what's the result of all this maturing, equipping, and filling ourselves with the right things? Here's what it is. Verse 14. We'll no longer be infants. We'll no longer be children tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Remember I said these things come through in the church and every once in a while people go, oh, this new book is the greatest thing in the world, which just, you know, they're actually just very talented. They're very cunning. They're very crafty. They have an ability to speak and say the right things, but their hearts are filled with deceitful schemes to make themselves enriched. We have to do better. We cannot listen to every politician We cannot listen to every public speaker. We cannot listen to every person. Not everyone deserves a voice in your life. And you go, well, do you? And I will say, I do believe so. Here's the reason why. Because we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for faithfulness. And for 25 years, my wife and I have poured ourselves out in the city of Orlando for Jesus over and over and over again. And we've walked in faithfulness. I am a faithful man. Perfect? No. Not at all, not even close. Spend an hour with me, okay? But I promise you, my heart is constantly inclined towards the Lord to be more and more of what he wants us to be. This right here is totally avoidable. We just need to be wise. So what are we gonna do that's different? Verse 15. Instead, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna speak the truth in love. Even when I tell you guys hard things, I'm not gonna tell you in a way that's mean and nasty because it's just as important how you say something as what you say. My goal will always be to speak into your life as an older brother or father, 
that says, I'm 100% for you. And Jesus is 100% for you. Instead, we're gonna speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature, the word body here is church, the mature church of him who is the head. That's Jesus who is the head. And here's where I leave the whole thing. Hebrews 13, seven, it says this, remember your leaders. Will you please pray for me? Remember the leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Will you pray for the other teaching pastors of grace? Will you do that? Commit to doing that because how our lives go is how the church goes. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul said it basically like this. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I would say just one more, one more thing. When a person stops following Jesus, stop following that person. Amen?